Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Let's open up to Psalm 67. That's where we're going to finish. Let me pray while you turn there. Psalm 67. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Draw near. We pray that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit on us in a fresh way for the sake of Your glory, for the sake of our joy, for the sake that the nations may know. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 67. Actually, keep your finger in Psalm 67. We'll be getting there quick, but flip to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and let's actually start there. Genesis chapter 1, start in verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When God first made humankind, a large part of His goal was to cover planet earth with human beings who would be made in His image. And what that means essentially is that we would have similar character attributes to God. God's loving, that we would be loving. God's merciful, we would be merciful. God is just, we would be just. And that that in a sense would reflect back to Him His own glory. Like looking in a mirror. If you're a beautiful person and you look in the mirror and you see your image, you're like, wow, that's beautiful. God in a sense wanted to be able to look at humanity and see His glorious character reflected back to Him. Adam and Eve... Messed it up. They ruined the human race. But God didn't give up on His plan. So flip over to Genesis chapter 12. God decided to redeem humanity. And so, He started to work with one man named Abram. And He essentially said, I'm going to start with one man. One family. That will become a nation. Genesis chapter 12, look in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, Abram, I'm going to give you a big family. It's going to be so big it's going to turn into a whole nation, and I, in a sense, am going to bless your socks off. But... I'm going to bless you in such a way that you will eventually become a blessing to all the nations. And primarily what this means is the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be born into the Jewish family, into the Jewish nation. Jesus, still today, sitting on the throne in heaven, is a physical Jewish man. That's His ethnicity. But He's not just a Jewish Savior. He's a Savior for all the nations, to bless all the nations. Now if you read the whole Old Testament... Part of what you start to see is that many times in the history of the Jewish people, they took this promise from God, hey, I'm going to bless you, and they just stopped right there. They liked that part. Right, bless me, God, and the rest of the nations, just get rid of them. Or at least don't let them mess with me. Protect me. 
And they got very self-focused, very narrow. It's just about me and my friends and my family and my nation and my safety and my comfort. And that's a danger that Christians today can fall into as well. Thank you for all your blessings, God. Please keep giving them. Bless me physically. Bless me financially. Bless me spiritually. But we can lose our heart for other nations. It can go to our heads sometimes. I mean, really what God said is, hey, I'm starting with you, Abram. I'm starting with you, all, you know, the Jewish nation. But it's not because you're any better. I'm just deciding to start with you. I'm having mercy on you that you would become a conduit of my mercy to other nations. But a lot of times they just wanted to turn into a reservoir that wasn't sending the water of blessing anywhere else. They were just keeping it for themselves. And again, the Christian church can often fall into the same error. But there were times in the history of the nation of Israel where they got it right. And we're going to look at one. That's Psalm 67. So flip back there. It's a short psalm. Let me read the whole thing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Now this is a prayer. It's a great prayer. And it offers us a really clear pattern for prayer. So just three quick points. The first is this. Bless us. It's not wrong to pray that God would bless us. It's not wrong for God, for you to say, God, I want you to help me, to bless me, to make my life better. It's not wrong. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a right thing. It, it ought to be a normal thing. And in reality, the more you grow in maturity, the more that you ought to be praying really about every area of your life. The big areas, the small areas, Lord, bless me. I mean, do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Most of us probably know that. Part of the Lord's Prayer is, give us each day our daily bread. It doesn't get more basic than that. God is like, you can talk to me. Not just you can, I'm inviting you. I want you to talk to me about the smallest, most practical, tangible needs in your life. It's not wrong, it's good. And really, the more you mature, you should be praying more about every area of your life. A sense of desperation a sense of clinginess, a sense of dependence. Sometimes we can think wrongly, well, if I really grow mature, part of what's going to happen to me is that I'm going to get kind of so self-sufficient, so mature, or maybe we put some spiritual words on it. I'm just going to get so confident, so filled with faith that I don't have to pray all the time. I just assume God's going to bless me. But you don't see that attitude anywhere in the Bible. Even the Lord Jesus, sinless, perfect, God in the flesh, when He was walking on the earth, His pattern was to get up early and to pray. If the God-man needed that, how much more do you and I need that? That kind of dependence. Pray regularly for all your own needs and desires. Listen, if it's not sinful, you can pray that God would bless it. Any area of your life, big and small. Look at verse 6 again. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Part of what this prayer is about, and a lot of commentators that write about the Bible, they say probably when this prayer was most often prayed was after a big harvest time. 
Or maybe at the beginning, but the idea was this was a, this was a society mostly of farmers. So they were saying, God, please bring the rain. Please bring the sun. Give us good weather so our crops will do well. And guys, that's not a bad thing. Most of you are going to go into jobs full-time that aren't going to be full-time paid ministry and missionaries. And that's great. That's wonderful. That's what God wants you to do. We need godly accountants and school teachers and football coaches and doctors and lawyers and everything else in between. And it's not wrong you get into your career to say, God, bless my career. Help me succeed. Help me do well. Give me money. Give me success. Bless my family. Bless my dating life. All right? If I, you want kids, bless my kids one day. It's not wrong to pray for all those things. Keep your finger in Psalm 67. We're coming right back. But just flip over to the left a few pages to Psalm 35. There's one verse, really one phrase I want to read in Psalm 35. <coughs> Psalm 35 at the very end, verse 27. I'll read the whole verse. Psalm 35, 27. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord, now here's the phrase, who delights in the welfare of His servant. And another translation, probably a more literal translation would say, who delights in the prosperity of His servant. God is a good God who loves to give good gifts to His kids. I bet all of us have at least one person in our family. Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, maybe it's grandma, granddad, an aunt or not. you got somebody that almost likes to give you gifts even more than you like to receive the gifts. You know the kind of person I'm talking about? And you may say, I really like getting gifts. But sometimes there's family members that they just, they're so generous. It's like they have so much wealth. And they like to use it to bless other people. And they like you. And it's not because you're a perfect kid. Right? It's just because you're related to them. And in a sense, that's what God is like. He loves to give good gifts to our children. Not because we deserve them. Just because He is the best daddy you can imagine. And He is crazy rich. He owns everything. And He says... I like to leverage my resources to bless my people, and it's not wrong to pray that way. Now, if you're paying attention and you're tracking with me at all, you've got to know, if we just stop right here, this could be really dangerous. And there are certain churches, not just in America, but around the world, that are famous for something called the prosperity gospel. You ever heard of that? And, and, and they kind of will say, listen, there's verses like this that make them say these kind of things. But in a sense, it's really easy for them just to say, it's all about me being healthy. It's all about me being rich. It's all about me being famous. And they just stop there. And that's when you get into big bad trouble. Because the psalm doesn't stop there. The first part of your prayer life, it's great to say, God, bless me. Bless my family. Bless my friends. Bless my loved ones. Bless my country. That's not a bad thing to pray. It's a great thing to pray. It's a wise thing to pray. Just don't stop there. Okay? Point two. Then you pray, God, bless me for your glory, for your honor, for your fame, for your renown. So you'll be famous. 
Here's a way that I pray it personally sometimes. God, give me the fruitfulness in my life that makes you famous. Right? It's not about me, making me famous, it's about making you famous. That all the nations may know. Go back to Psalm 67, look at verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Skip down to the last verse, verse 7. God shall bless us. He's confident. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. And this is the positive kind of fear. The kind of trembling with holy joy. Honoring God. Worshiping God. Delighting in God. For your glory. Listen, God is passionate for His fame. He's jealous for it. And there's a right way to say, God, I want you to do good things in my life, around my life, through my life, but not so that it will ultimately terminate with me. It will terminate with you. You'll get the praise and the glory. I mean, we all, I bet we could all tell stories about athletes, right? That are great athletes. And we like them, but part of what we like about them is they really do try to say, I give the credit to God who gave me these abilities. I give the credit to my Lord Jesus Christ. And they seem genuine in that. They're leveraging their talents, not ultimately for their glory. I mean, they're playing their hearts out. And they're probably making a lot of money. Good for them. But they're saying at the end of the day, it's not just about me. It's about my maker. And listen, you can do that in business too. I mean, one of my favorite illustrations is Chick-fil-A, right? Who doesn't love good Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? I mean, Lord, give us each day our daily bread. And if it's got chicken in the middle of it, even better. And Chick-fil-A, in one sense, is doing something very practical, very normal. They're just making good chicken sandwiches. But they have found it, found ways to do it in such a way that honors God. I mean, part of why I like to go to Chick-fil-A, and I bet it's the same for you, the service is always great. Right? It's fast. Right? Number one, they're going to get you out of there fast. And, and they're going to be nice. They're going to be respectful. They smile. They say, it's my pleasure. And, you know, so, most of the time you're like, I really think it is their pleasure. They seem happy. You know, they have done things in their business to say, we want to honor God with our success. And I'm not saying they're perfect. But I'm saying, you see this in the Bible. You see it in church history. Men and women who, in a sense, they're not full-time career missionaries, but they are finding ways to leverage their life, their success, their business, their money for a greater glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to be doing the same kind of things with our life. So pray for that, guys. Bless me, Father. Bless us. But do it for your glory. But let's just be honest. That, that prayer, Lord, bless me for your glory, is good, but it can sound very generic. Right? It can sound a little like, what? But still, exactly what does that mean, right? I work for Chick fil A for the summer. I'm not going to work for them the rest of my life. So, you know, practically, what does it mean for me to live my life for the glory of God? And there's a third part of the prayer bless me for your glory and for the nations. This gets it more specific. What does it mean to glorify God with your life? You leverage your life for the sake of the nations. Look again at the heart of this psalm, the middle three verses, verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. 
Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Listen, the point is not just that all the nations would know that our God is real. The point is not just that people would say, well, yeah, I guess that Jesus guy, He's the real God. He's the biggest God. He's the best God. Your God can beat my God up. Okay, That's not the main point. The point is that they would realize our God, not only is He real, but He's good. He's a Savior. He's loving. He's kind. He's tender. He's patient. He's forgiving. And He's not just forgiving to Jews. And He's not just forgiving to Americans. He's forgiving to every tongue, tribe, and nation that will come to Him. Great is His mercy. And therefore, great should be His fame. And great should be our passion to help speed His name to every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is talking about joy, gladness, happiness. That people get to know the real God and they're like, God, you're fair and actually you're better than fair. You're merciful. And you fight for the weak and you fight for the oppressed. And you guide the nations upon the earth. You guide them ultimately with saving wisdom to yourself. Guys, I know we've been doing a lot of evangelism training this summer. And it's good. It helped me when I was on a beach project. I told stories about how it helped other people, like my friend Walt. But the best, the best kind of evangelism, not the only kind of evangelism, but the best kind of evangelism is when it is just the natural overflow of what God is doing in your heart and life. Do you understand what I mean by that? Let me tell a quick story. It's a true story. About 25 years ago at the University of North Alabama, my wife and I were there on staff. I was mainly working with the Fiji fraternity at that time. She was mainly working with Alpha Gam. And uh, there were two Fiji guys that I'd been sharing the gospel with, John and Jake. John and Jake were good friends. Uh, they liked to party hard together, get drunk, and then pick a fight in the bar. That's what they like to do for fun, okay? Uh, John was dating Julie, and my wife, she was in Alpha Gam, been doing a Bible study. So I don't know, we'd been there a month or two, one night after a Wednesday night meeting, I'm sitting in my car talking to Jake, sharing the gospel with Jake again after multiple times, and he prays to receive Christ with me sitting in my car. I didn't know, but my wife was actually in our apartment talking to Julie, sharing the gospel with her again, and Julie prayed to receive Christ with my wife in the apartment same night. Well, Julie goes home. Her and John were shacked up, living together, and she gets home. She's like, I, I can't do this anymore. You've got to move out. I'm a Christian. John was not very excited about that, right? But he packed his bags. Went back to the fraternity house. By the time he got there, it was late. I don't know, after midnight. Walks in the fraternity house. It's a Wednesday night. But he, Jake is just sitting in there on the couch all by himself, kind of rocking. And John's like, Jake, what are you doing, man? And Jake's like, man, I got saved tonight. John, I don't think, was very happy. He kind of went up to his room frustrated. But he was kind of like, you know what? My best friend and my girlfriend both got saved. I guess I should get saved. And he prayed to receive Christ. Still walking with Christ today. Now, it doesn't happen that way all the time, right? But think about it. Jake and Julie, I don't think they said, I'm planning to share the gospel with John tonight. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to take initiation. I'm going to try... Listen, I'm all for being proactive. I'm all for initiating. I have to do that myself sometimes. But it was just a natural overflow of Julie's life of conviction of sin saying, I can't do this anymore. 
And Jake just kind of excited. I can't believe I just got saved. And God used that to bring John to Christ. Another reason I love that story, they'd only been Christians about an hour. And God was already using them to lead other people to Christ. Again, you may be like, dude, I just came to Christ last week. I wish I'd have came to Christ at the beginning of Beach Project. You know, the first seven weeks, I just slept through all this stuff. Okay, come back next year, right? But the the point is, if you've trusted in Christ, you know enough to go home and tell your friends and family. There's a story, I think it's in John 9, one of my favorite, a blind man, Jesus heals him, and he's kind of being interrogated by the self-righteous religious rulers, and he says, listen, I don't even know his name. I just know this. I once was blind, but now I see. That's a pretty darn good testimony, guys. That'll get people's attention. Come and see a man who changed my life. God can and will use anyone who's just faithful to fumble forward. Live your life for the nations. The nations next door in the dorm room and the nations all the way literally on the other side of the world. Preacher named Tim Keller said this true enjoyment of God must lead naturally to mission, to helping others see the beauty you see. God never draws us in except to send us out. You hear that? That's just that is the normal way that God always works. If he says, Come close to me, I love you, I want to save you. Rejoice in that. And then he's gonna say, Now you're part of the team. Congratulations. And this is a family that likes to work. So get to work with a smile on your face, right? It's like, it's like when you're a little kid and, and maybe your mom or dad you know, had parent take their kid to work day. And it was exciting. It was fun to go to work with dad. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. God is in the business of reaching every nation. And even though me and you got all sorts of problems, he says, I love you. I can work with anybody, even you. Come on, let's go. Let's go to work together. It's a privilege. It's a joy. It ought to be a highlight. So as we're coming into this conference, let me get really practical in application. I hope you all are wrestling with, God, what do you want me to do? This one's for everybody. If you're a Christian, I, I promise this application is for you. Pray for the nations. Use Psalm 67 as a pattern for your prayer life on a regular basis. I'd say at minimum once a week. But honestly, it ought to be every day. Every day, start praying for the lost. And again, that can be the lost guy in your fraternity, and it can be unreached people groups in China you've never even heard of. Now you've heard of them, right? Go back there and get the name. Get the name of just one unreached people group. And just say, I'm going to commit to praying for this unreached people group. Get the name of a missionary. Get the name of some church planning effort. And commit to just praying, God, yes, bless me today, but bless that missionary over there. Make them fruitful. The second thing, give money. Now listen, if you're like, right now I'm in school, I don't have a job, you know, I did, but we just quit, and I'm not planning on getting one, and all I got is mom and dad's money. You know, if if you can get away with giving your parents money away, go for it, all right? But if, if they don't like that, then graduate as fast as you can, get your own job, get your own money, and give some of your money to missions. Give some of your money to helping reach the lost, helping reach the nations. Find a missionary 
and give sacrificially. I mean, in a sense, right? They were farmers and they were saying, God, bless our harvest and thank you. But we also want the nations to know. So in a sense, you know, whatever your job is, say, God, bless my job. Bless me financially. Let me get a raise. Let me get a promotion. But I'm not going to use all that money on myself. As you bless my harvest financially, I'm going to help bless the nations. The spiritual harvest. That's for everybody. If you're a Christian, that application ought to be for you. Now the third one. This one I'd say is almost for everybody, but I can't say for 100% for sure it's for everybody. Is go. Find a time to go personally. And listen, I don't know if that'll be a two-week long little summer trip, a two-month long CCP with Campus Outreach, a two-year long venture with LEAD or ELIC or GoCorps or one of these other ministries, or maybe it'll be two decades like the Furpos and others in Thailand. I don't know. But listen, wrestle with that God. Do you want me to go? If so, where? If so, when? If so, how long? Just take the first little baby step and go. See what the Lord might do. Now, um, let's go back to Revelation. We'll end there. Back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. Guys, sometimes when we come to missions conferences and we're hearing all these stats and we're hearing all these numbers and maybe when we read a verse like that in Psalm 67 it says God guides the nations upon the earth. We can have a lot of questions. We can have some confusion. We can have a sense of God, why'd you do it this way? I mean, why are there literally probably 3 point billion people on planet earth and unreached people groups? Never heard of your name. That didn't seem right. That didn't seem best. Why, God? Why'd you do it this way? There are questions we don't have all the answers to. And they're not wrong to ask those questions. Not wrong to research, think, pray, study, debate. But at the end of the day, rather than just sitting in a corner, kind of theologically wrestling with really important questions, get moving based on the stuff that you already do know. And here's a really important question that we already know the answer to. How's it going to end? How's it going to end? We know the end of the story, guys. It's already been written. And it's authoritative. Revelation chapter 7, starting verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's going to end in heaven with an eternal party of worshiping the Lamb who was slain. And God is going to win. God is going to make sure that there's somebody there from every tongue, tribe, and nation, every language group, every culture, every ethnicity. He's going to dominate. 
His plan will be fulfilled. His glory will cover the face of the earth like the waters cover the face of the sea. Little living statues, representatives of Him. And guys, there is great joy to being involved in this mission. Just almost done. Imagine this, guys. Imagine being there. Worshiping the Lamb that was slain for your sins and my sins. And next to you, maybe a friend or family member that you helped lead to Christ. You had a really awkward conversation with them about 38 different times. And they finally repented and got saved. And then on the other side of you is some dude you ain't never seen before. And he looks really different than you. And he's singing in a different language. But you can understand it now because you're in heaven. And he says, hey, oh, by the way, you gave a tiny bit of money one time to some thing that you thought was kind of stupid on the back wall about Venmo for sign language in Thailand. And you didn't even want to give the money. Somebody kind of pressured you into it. God used that money. Helped get the Scriptures to me. That's how I came to Christ. What do you think that's going to do for your eternal joy and that worship experience, guys? Is there a burden to be involved in the Great Commission? Yeah. But it is far and magnificently outweighed by the high privilege and joy it is to be involved in this great mission. Come and join the journey. Lord Jesus, make us into people of mission that you want us to be for the rest of our life, for your glory, for the sake of the nations. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching. Thank you.